welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. Well, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, those of you who were here last week or who were watching online will know that Jonathan started a new series on the church, and it's going to be four weeks. And it's really important because obviously we're part of the church. We need to know what we're doing. And the church is really significant in terms of bringing in the kingdom of God. It's not the only thing because, of course, the Spirit is everywhere doing all manner of things that we don't even know about. But but the Spirit is on us and the Spirit calls us into mission and God uses us. So it's really important that we know who we are and who we should be and what we should do. And we had a focus scripture last week, 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10, and we're going to read that again, so whether you want to look at it on your Bibles or be on the screen, but 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And while we sing that last song, I found myself reflecting on Peter and I thought, I wonder how many drafts of this he did. You know, it's just a few verses. But I reckon he must have done four or five or six or seven drafts just to capture that in so few words. And sometimes it's really helpful for us just to focus on a few words. This morning I was actually, when I got up, I thought I should read the 23rd Psalm. And I I got to the first verse. uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. And I thought, wow, okay, I've got enough to preach. I've got enough when I go home to my family. I've got enough tomorrow when I'm on interviewing panels. I've, I've got enough. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. And sometimes it's just, just we need to hold a phrase or a sentence. And today Jonathan's allowed me to speak on two words, royal priesthood. And, and I hope, I know I'll say a few things. <clears throat> of course, that's what I'm here for, but I hope it gets written on your hearts. So you, you, you know in, internally this week when you're going to a job or your school or uni, or, you can think royal priesthood. What does that mean for what I'm doing now, who I am? what I'm saying to the person I meet, how I behave. So royal priesthood. So let's just look at those two words a bit bit to start with and then then I'll go on from there. So royal, um, we have some sense of what royal means from, you know, a family in the UK. Uh, Royal for that family is very much about their identity. They're born into it. Uh, that, That affects a lot about their life. And I think when Peter used this word, he was saying something about our, our identity too. We are royal. We are royalty. We're part uh, of God's family, part of the King of Kings family, sons and daughters of God. Royal is about relationship. And another word we find in the Bible all the time, and especially the Old Testament, is the word covenant. And that is about that extraordinary and special relationship that we have with God. So covenant and royalty is about relationship. Now, priesthood is a bit more about what we do. So a priest would spend time with God. 
Uh, they would often hear things, they would, they would do things there, but then they would bring them out to the community and share them with the wider community. So priesthood's more about actions. It's about the responsibility that flows from being part of the royal family. So what Peter does in today's reading is he puts those two words together. And look, if you're really keen, you might want to look at those two words together because nearly all the way through the Bible, they do not exist together. So nearly always the kings of Israel could never be the priests, but Jesus puts them together. You might want to do your research. We don't have time um, to look at that. So that they are put together. We are royal and we are priests. But the words we are using today were not first used by Peter. They come from the book of Exodus. And so I want to look at that first because it's a bit of a found foundation. Moses goes up to God on the mountain and God gives Moses instructions. And it's Exodus 19 from verse 3. This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So you can see the context is covenant, context is relationship, and it's saying that out of relationship becomes, comes obedience, and if they're obedient they will be God's treasured possessions. God has chosen them. They'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The very earliest translation of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, when it was translated into Greek, it actually said you'll be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Sounds a lot like 1 Peter to me. Does it sound like 1 Peter to you? It's too much alike to be a coincidence. So we'll see it's an ancient theme. You know, in the Bible there are lots of themes that run from beginning to end. Here's one of them. Be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And Peter is writing to Christians who have been driven away from Jerusalem and Judea. So he's writing essentially to Jews who have become Christians. Jewish Christians, we can call them. And they've been scattered through the provinces by persecution. And so when Peter uses the word royal priesthood, you can bet that there's a number of people in that community would say, oh, Exodus, what do you remember those words? Oh, it's the same thing being reinforced now, generations and generations later. He is reinforcing their identity, who they belong to. Now another translation for exiles is the phrase resident aliens. Resident aliens. Aliens, And what this actually means is that they are people living outside of the house of the dominant culture. They're outside of the dominant culture. Remember, they're, they're outside of Jewish territories. The dominant culture is not Jewish. It is not Christian. It is pagan. They're living outside of the house of the dominant culture. But Peter is reminding them that even in that position, their role is exactly the same. They are royals and they are a priesthood. They're part of the family of God and they're called to tell others about that. 
So as 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Prime role is to testify to God's wonderful acts into that community. Now guess what? As Christians in Australia in 2023, there is a genuine sense in which we are resident aliens. By that I mean we're people living outside of the house of the dominant culture, which in Australia is not Christian. So what does that mean? It means that everything that, that, that Peter said to those people applies to us. And if we're looking to how to behave, we read 1 Peter, and it tells us how to live and who we are and, and who we belong to. So our prime role is still to know God and to testify to his good news. Is part of who we are as the church. So let's look at royalty a little bit more. We'd obviously heard a lot about the royalty. Uh, Elizabeth II just died and there was all that stuff about you know, grief, the incredible burial and all that stuff. There's been a lot in the press. Uh, and we know that they become members of the royal family by birth and the succession to the throne is really clear. Very, very clear. And being a, royal, a, fa- a member of the royal family brings very significant responsibilities. Some of those are even hidden. Did you know Princess Anne last year had 214 public duties? 50 weeks, you can do the sums, but 214. Can you imagine you as a Christian having 214 public acts as a Christian, how are you going? I think that's the sort of stuff this is suggesting to us. A couple of times members of the royal family have decided they don't want to be there anymore, don't like the responsibilities, uh, and we're seeing that play out now. That's all a bit uh, untidy. Uh, in the case of the royal family, they are born into it, and if you want to do something different, you've got to opt out of it. That's what's happening, isn't it? Some are opting out of it. But our world is different. We're we're not born into it. We have to opt into it by being born again through Jesus Christ. So it's a choice. So God has done something in Jesus that allows us to choose. But we have to choose. We have to receive that gift of, of being part of the royal family. Our membership is offered through Jesus. The Gospel of John states that really clearly from John chapter 1 and 12 and 13, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's how you become part of the family of God. God did something first in Christ which enabled us to choose. God chooses, we have to agree with that. And through Christ, we have a relationship with God. We have a covenant with God to go back to the same language. We are daughters and sons of God. It's a little bit hard to get that into your head, I think. I mean, for that to live in you, that I'm a daughter or a son of God. And Paul takes it slightly further, Romans eight seventeen. If we're children of God, then we're also heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If you're looking for a couple of words or a phrase to reflect on this week, you might want to reflect on that one. What does it mean to be a co-heir with Christ? It's just unbelievable, really. 
<clears throat> Indeed, Luke in, in 12.32, Luke 12.32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, Jonathan's been asking you to read the book of Luke, so all of you will have read that chapter, that verse already, won't you? You'll be well into the second part of, uh, or getting to the second part of Luke. Uh, this is the first time through, and every quarter we're going to read it again, aren't we? So you all know this first because you've already read it. But we've been given membership of the royal family. We've been given abundant and eternal life. We've been given the kingdom. It's who we are. Extraordinary. Let's move to priesthood. Well, we're also fairly aware of what happens when a member of the royal family chooses to leave and publicly badmouths the rest. In choosing to be daughters and sons of God, there are responsibilities. And one word of describing that is priesthood. Very simply stated, a priest is someone who spends time with God, who immerses themselves in the presence of God, and then conveys that to other people. That's who you fundamentally are. Now, at the time of Jesus, there was a class of priests who came from the tribe of Levi. But this is saying you are all priests. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. There's no longer a special class. Now, this issue was a major one with the Reformation in the 16th century, and some reformers were asserting that there was not a special class of priests. Now, you can imagine in every area of the church where there was a special class of priests, that's a pretty uncool thing to say. But that's what was said. There was a priesthood of all believers where all human beings had access to God. They didn't need an intermediary. They didn't need someone to be between, with, between them and God to mediate the knowledge, the presence and the forgiveness of God. We all have access to God. Fantastic. Um, in the presence of God, priests spent time in praise and in worship, in offering sacrifices. And we actually all do that today still as priests. Uh, in worship, we do it in a special way when we gather together. You know, the Bible says that when we, when we gather, that's really significant. And the, as you would have seen last week, I mean, the Spirit is present in a really extraordinary way as we gather together and worship. But we're always in the presence of God, so there's a way in which we always praise God. We always worship God. We can always intercede for others. We can find our identity in Christ. These are all priestly things. There's a guy called Abraham Heschel said, Worship is a way of seeing the world through the light of Christ. So if you imagine wherever you are this week, worship is a way of seeing the world through the light of Christ. It can transform the most awful situation so that you can see God in it and actually worship by how you respond. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So we represent Christ to others. That's part of what a priest does. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that's their surrounding community, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So having seen all this, all this stuff in the church, when God comes, they think, oh, we know what God's like because that's what they were like. 
And so it's, it's a transforming thing. We are daughters and sons of God and that determines how we live. We are a royal priesthood. So let me finish with a story. And I, I just see it as a kind of parable that illustrates what I've been talking about. It comes from a devotion by Liz Miller. And I actually read this last year. It comes in as an email and I thought, oh, I just can't delete that. I need that sometime. She says, Scripture came alive to me as an undergraduate student when I had a Hebrew Bible professor who taught us that wrestling with Scripture requires more than studying the words on the page. That's a clue for us. More than studying the words. During the first week of class, we read Hagar's story in Genesis, studying the life of a woman who was enslaved, who was raped, and who was forced into pregnancy by Abram and Sarai. Now, she was powerless. She was powerless at the time as a woman, she was powerless as a slave, and she was powerless as a person from another nation. She was Egyptian, not Israelite. All of those things counted against her. Now, you know, she wasn't perfect by any means. She got really arrogant when she became pregnant, and the result was that Abram and Sarai drove her out of their house into the wilderness. However, the angel of the Lord finds her there and blesses her and promises her generations of descendants. Sounds an awful lot like Abram and Sarai's story. And yet she's an outsider. You know, those things would not have been expected, but she has hope and she has a future. It would not have been expected because she was not Jewish, because she was a slave, and because she was a woman. But all of that happened to her. And what she did was something that's really rare in the Bible. She gave God a name, really rare, particularly for a woman. You are, a God, are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. How extraordinary to be seen by God. Here she is. Everyone's rejected her. She thinks she's going to die. You are the God who sees me. Really sounds to me like Galatians three twenty six to twenty eight. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Neither Jew nor Gentile, that was in the story. Neither slave nor free, that was in the story. Neither male nor female, that was in the story. You are all one in Christ. I think it's another one of those themes that runs from the beginning to the end of the Bible. So when we wrestle with this story of Hagar, we find that God sees all people, even those that others don't see and or may demean. God sees them and loves them. Now it's one thing to know that and another to do something about it. And if we are to be the church, the people of God, we have to see those that others don't or we haven't seen them like everybody else. We have to see and do something about it. So back to the devotion. Liz Miller went on to say, As the lecture of Hagar ended, our professor told us to close our study Bibles, put away our notebooks and follow her out of the classroom door. She led us out of the building, tramping across the green grass of the quadrangle and under the stone arch that separated the pristine campus from the surrounding neighbourhood. Moving into the place where they're not in the house of the dominant culture. They were when they were in Bible college, but now they're not. They're outside of it. They've gone outside. When we reached the fourth house down the street, we stopped. The house looked like everyone in the street. 
except that it had a tall privacy fence. And behind the fence, we were introduced to Hagar's house, an emergency shelter for families and children, a refuge in the wilderness for hundreds of women and children over the years. Residents received a safe place to live, job training, childcare and support, the support they needed to write the next chapter of their lives. The invitation to us as students was to volunteer in the shelter throughout that semester. At Hagar's house, we learned that the sacred stories we study in the Bible find their power when we allow them to form our faith and transform who we are. Even outside the house of the dominant culture. Now on Mother Teresa's wall was the statement, and she was a woman outside the house of the dominant culture too because people in general didn't want to look after the poor or the unclean or the dirty and there was even this sense that those people were there because they'd done something wrong. But she loved them and this is what was on her wall. People are often unreasonable, irrational and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish and ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. I do hope that when we're successful, we get a few good friends as well. But anyway, if you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others may destroy overnight, but create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous, be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough, but give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and others anyway. So what this is just saying is our identity is as daughters and sons of God. And that affects how we live. And we ought to live that way, even if it's different from the dominant culture. We have to show who God is. We are the church. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.